It's Positive Spark Plug time, and I'm your host, Candice, and I am fired up for you guys today, for I have such a beautiful, beautiful man on here, Rick Weary, and he is going to tell you his story of how he went from a young, healthy man living his dream life to learning how to do everything on his own again with the support of his family, loved ones, and nurses. Rick Reary lets us in on how he went from using his body in every single way to becoming a quadriplegic during a construction accident. This story and this man is such a true blessing, such a true positive light for this world. And I am so blessed to have him on the Positive Spark Plug podcast. And I can't wait for you guys to hear his story. So let's get going. Hello, Rick. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to have a little conversation with you, Candace. I am so excited to have you on my podcast. I feel very honored to have you reach out to me and want to share your story for I know it is so inspiring. It is so touching. It is so moving. And it really, truly is a story that allows people to understand that if they believe it in their hearts, that they can achieve it and that they can do it. And I'm so excited for my listeners to hear. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm excited. And I must say, like, um, so while I was waiting for you to send the link over, I stalked your profile a little bit, and I I was so I was inspired because uh, I scrolled down quite a bit, and I saw one where it dancing, and I'm like, oh, wish uh, that was it was pretty cool. And you got style, like it reminded me of when um, when me and my son will do these. Uh, it's called just dances. We just play them on YouTube and. Uh, we just kind of do our own thing, kind of, but yeah, the world needs more dancing and happiness. Yes, I love dancing. I love dancing. Um, well, thank you. I appreciate you taking time to scope me out and check the things out, and I'm glad you enjoyed what you saw, and hopefully you moved a little bit when I was dancing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My first question for you is, what are your three favorite emojis or the three emojis that best describe you and why? Okay, so the connection went bad for just a second, but I think I got most of it. You said, what's uh, what's the emojis that best describe you? Yes, the three your three favorite emojis or the uh-huh. three emojis that best describe you and why? Okay, um, that's a good question. I don't know, that caught me off guard there. But um, so I I don't use emojis a lot. I would say um, when I do though, I like the hundred percent. I mean, like like you're all in, right? And then yes. um, I also like the uh, the fist bump. Yeah. I mean, like yeah, in the world, like for those of you who don't know, I'm a quadriplegic, so my hands are paralyzed. So I'm always like, hey, give me the fist bump, you know. And then the final one would be like the one where the guy's like, 
I told you about using his muscles, you know, like a, a big bicep, you know, flexing his muscles. Yes. So I always like to send those to people just to encourage them, like, you got this, and then, yeah, so. I love it. I love it. I love it. You mentioned you mentioned that you were paraplegic, and I want to get to that story, but I want to ask you a little bit um, about before the journey. So you were in a, a, a construction accident, correct? Yeah. Yep. Yes. Now, what was your life, because it paralyzed you from neck down, correct? Chest. Chest down. So I want yeah, so to like know, use my was... hands and arms. You yeah, can I use, can use my okay. hands and arms, but like my hands are paralyzed. Okay. So yeah. So before we get into you know the accident and life afterwards, I want to know what your life was like before the accident. Can you explain a little bit? Uh. Yeah, I so when I broke my neck, I was, I believe, I have to do the quick math, but I believe I was 26 years old, and okay. I was uh, newly married to my wife, Tara, uh, for one year, almost to the day when I broke my neck, and um, I was strong, healthy, I loved sports, um, I was just kind of like at a new phase in my life and just starting it you know like newlyweds and we we're building our own house and just kind of like a lot of exciting things were happening right you know up until that day wow so you guys were in the middle of building a new house were yeah. you helping were you helping like construct it yeah, or so did you have like my, a team? Me, me and my wife, we joined this program, and it's for rural communities. It's called self-help housing. It's where, it's where you work on your own house in order to build equity. And so, yeah, you're oh. all you, you get together with a group of like ten other families, and you're all building your own house. And the goal is to like get your house in the street. Wow, that's amazing. That is amazing. Um, so was it while building your house that it happened, or were you on a, a on job site when your construction accident happened? So I was actually two doors down from my house now. I was working on my friend Zach's house with him late at night. Okay. Was it um, was it due to the nighttime? Like, should you guys have not been there? No, no. I mean, back in the day, we we were like young and hustling to get ahead, you know. Um, but we had lights and everything, and I I imagine the accident that I had would have happened uh, just the same in the daytime. And I guess I might as well just tell you what happened because. Yes, I, I was got, just gonna say. I gotta time. clear that up. I don't want. I don't want to sound like a klutz, you know. Because no, no, I this, was just gonna ask. I was just gonna get there. Let's explain a little bit to how it went. Yeah, I mean, I feel like my accident could have happened to like a seasoned vet in the construction field. 
Um, I was framing up a wall on a floor. Uh, you, you build it on the floor and then you stand it up. And I got to nail in the, the studs in to the top plate. And I got to the very end of the last stud. And the, the board had a knot in it. And there's this inside, there's a knot. And so when I nailed that nail into the knot, um, then they would like hit a weak spot and shot the nail up into the web of my thumb. And um, yeah, so I was tough and I was with my friend Zach. I'm like, okay, let's just pull it out and keep working. You know, it's like no big deal. <laughs> and so he did, and he pulled it out. But the only thing that I caught me off guard is I started to get lightheaded. Okay. My thumb, just kind of seeing what the damage was. Um, yeah, I was getting lightheaded, and so I decided to, like, walk across the house to get a drink. And in that moment, I passed out from, you know, I guess the lightheadedness, and I tipped over and fell into a hole where the stairs were. The hole was there, but the stairs weren't built. So I fell okay. from the main floor down into the basement. Wow. Yeah, and I, wow. like I said, I was passed out. So I like just tipped over like perfectly and just straight down on my on my head. And I broke my neck at C6, C7 vertebrae, like right up in the pretty. And you like, um, so when you break your neck and damage your spinal cord, the higher up you break, for lack of a better term, the worse off you are. And um, at this particular vertebrae, C6, C7, the common term is called quadriplegic, meaning uh, impairment in all four limbs. The difference, a lot of people say paraplegic. Paraplegics are paralyzed from the waist down. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so, there's a there's a big spectrum as far as like, yeah, you can't put it into a, a box of like, oh, you're paralyzed because you know, yeah, there's a big spectrum of disability. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know that. I did not know that. So let's. I want I want to go back. I want to go to the time when was the first time kind of coming up because I'm assuming you were probably out for a bit <laughs> maybe in a coma for a little bit or did they put you in a coma or did you maybe just go into a coma after falling so yeah I woke up down in the basement uh, that you night. woke up there yeah yeah I was just <laughs> I passed out for just a couple seconds but I you know you I did we did talk about after I uh, they got stabilized and life lighted uh, in that that morning, I caught pneumonia because I was laying in a puddle of ice water in the base in a cold basement. It also, um, I had newly paralyzed lungs, so the pneumonia was like the it was what was going to kill me. So what they did is they put me on a trachea, where they um, they bypass your your mouth and throat and you're breathing through a hole right here. Oh, okay, yes. yes. 
Yep. And um, they actually stabilized me by putting me into a medically induced coma. And so, yeah, I don't know. I think I was in that medically induced coma for about a week. For about a week. When you, can you think of anything that you might have felt or maybe thought of when you woke up in the basement? Like, did were you just like, how did I get here? What happened? Did you realize that you fell? Were there people all around? Like, how scary was that for you? Oh, the, the time that it most hit me where I was like, what, you know, oh, this is, this is bad was when the, when the ambulance was coming because they had kind of stabilized me and I didn't even really realize that I had no function right away or, or anything was wrong until the ambulance. And I remember talking to my friend Zach and saying, dude, I, I can't feel my legs. What's, you know, what's the matter? And I didn't even think of what would my, my hands and fingers and arms were impacted also. Oh, wow. So are you somewhat conscious while in the ambulance? Yeah, yeah, I was I was completely conscious while I was in the ambulance. I was even like joking around in the hospital with my friends and and I guess uh the moment that really where really hit me was when I was um I woke up after my medically induced coma and I remember laying on a hospital bed and I remember going to scratch my nose and uh, it takes tricep muscle to hold your hand up into the sky and I had no tricep muscle so I went to scratch my nose and my hand just fell onto my face and uh, I looked down at my arms and just like I like I said I'd been in a coma for a couple of weeks or maybe he had just atrophied from like this physically fit young man to all of a sudden just weak, um, paralyzed, scared and afraid and just wondering uh, what's going to become of me. Yes, yes. Now, I want there's so there's so many avenues I want to dive into because for one. It's not just your mindset, right? And it's not just your life of thinking, oh my God, I'm like, now look, like I was young, I'm athletic. Now I have to relearn everything. You have a brand new wife. Yeah. How was that? Because it's like I said, it wasn't just your your world anymore that got flipped upside down. It it was hers as well. So I want to dive a little bit into that too. How was it for you and her in those moments? And how did that really solidify your guys' marriage? And how did you, how, it must have been a, a real eye-opening to see that kind of unconditional love. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because a lot of people, their story, and Tara, my wife, is so much a part of my story. I mean, I absolutely 100% could not have done it without her. I remember, uh, just to paint a picture of some of the first challenges that we faced, um, uh, we, in, in, when I was on the trachea, she was like, 
dealing with my voicemail or bills, you know, life still happens. The yep. world doesn't pause for you to figure it out. So um, she was trying to check my voicemails and I was on a trachea and you can't speak with a trachea. You know? Okay. Um, so you have to mouth the digits. And so what, what she was trying to get from me was the four digit password for my voicemail so she could check my voicemail for me. And I had to mouth the the words and it was getting frustrated for me and her. And I was like, uh, you know, like, and, and we finally got it. Um, I, you know, I, we got the four digit code. She checked my password, but just to paint the picture, it what it isn't my story. It's our she completely supported me through the whole thing. There were doctors and nurses that had, like I hate to paint this picture, but there was a nurse that told my wife that, "Hey, there's no judgment if you leave him." You know, like um, you know, a lot of wives aren't up for this challenge. Yeah. Uh, that that breaks my heart for her to have said that. But it, I think the reason why it breaks so much is because of the truth behind it. Yeah. And, oh, for one, I want to give your wife a hug because <laughs> that is a strong woman. And that is truly an, an essence and a, and a, a true a, a true source of love. In in my books, because like you said, and like the nurse said, you guys were just a yearly into your like marriage. It, you, you, she could have easily been like, yeah, and slid out somewhere. But yeah. that is so crazy. I want to talk about patience because you brought that up a little bit. How did you learn to have patience with yourself, but then also? have patience for your wife as she's starting to learn the new you because you're learning the new you and she's learning the new you. So how did patience really play a big role in your guys's recovery? Oh, honestly, that is one of my weaknesses is patience. I, you know, my wife, she's the most, she's the patient one. And, uh, I, I want to tell a story. And, it, and she, she'll do, laugh if it, she'll laugh if you if she ever listens to this. But um, so this was uh, a few years back. I started playing a sport called wheelchair rugby, and um, it's pretty cool sport because you get to travel all over the country and play tournaments. And we went to our first tournament in Denver, Colorado, and um, I hadn't flown anywhere before this, and and like. I was just anxiety to to a t on a 10 of the level of anxiety. Am I going to miss the bus? Am I going to, you know, the flight? Am I going to, there's so many things running in my head because I didn't fly a lot before either, you know. And so here we are flying to Denver. We get up the morning of our first game and my wife's like, you know, I'm like just wheeling out, you know, and she's pushing my other chair and, and, uh, you know, like, oh, we'll get breakfast. And I'm like, you know, just kind of waving to my friends. And my wife's like, here, like packing all my stuff. And she's like working hard, right? And I remember my buddy sent me a text like, hey, the bus is leaving. 
and we hadn't checked out to the hotel yet. And I, I was like, um, I was about to leave her and get on the bus and like, you catch the next bus. And she was like, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, just like, so uh, trying to just, you know, I didn't, I was so worried I'd miss something or, but here she was just taking care of all the details and everything. And I know she was angry with me, but she's got like the most patient in the right relationship. So did she, has it rubbed off a little bit on you? I, I think where I've learned the most patience and the, the where I've learned you need to have patience in life is becoming a father. My boys, like, oh, sometimes I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, do I? You know, like, um, you you should watch me and my son Berkeley uh, change. Like, I get in my wheelchair, I always get these hairs because, you know, I live with my wife. And the yep. hairs wrap around your tire. And so me and my boy Berkeley have to, like, take the tires off and clean the hair out every once in a while. And it's it's like a challenge because I I'm the one with the brains and I'm teaching him. He's the one that has to do the action with his hands, like to turn a wrench, to pull this pulley, you know. And and yeah, patience. Oh, I I grew up hearing that saying, patience is a virtue, and and I think I've been forced to learn that in life. <laughs> I wanted to I, I'm gonna get into I'm gonna get into becoming a dad and all that stuff, but I wanna talk about the belief that must have come or must have been in and out of your probably heart and your mind and in your wife's. Um what was it for you? What were you told you weren't going to be able to do such, such and such? And you were like, No, I don't believe that. Or were you told if you were to do this and this and this, you might be able to get that? And you were like, okay, and you work towards it. Where was your journey? What were you told? And how did your belief in yourself come through? I see this a lot in newly injured people with the spinal cord injury. Um, so what I did, and it's a big mistake I made, and and I I absolutely had faith that I would walk again and quote unquote I still haven't turned that like it's still a 100% possibility and I still got that faith but what I would do is I would um, turn down opportunities or I would turn down opportunities to learn uh, because I would tell myself you're going to get better. You, you'll you do that when you get better. Um, for instance, I'm really embarrassed of, like, when me and my wife would go out to eat um, after my accident to, like, a restaurant. For the first little while, she would, like, scoop my f food up and, like, hold it up to my mouth. Yep. And and then recognize back and I, you know i have that ability now and i feed myself that sounds funny but like uh i wouldn't i didn't learn for the longest time not because i wasn't up for the challenge but it was because i told myself ah you'll be better soon and you won't need you you know your hands will heal you'll be able to pick up your own fork you know 
want to dive into that. So, so what did you learn from that? When did you start understanding that you were actually like hindering, I would say, your process of growing and, and getting better by denying yourself all of these opportunities or, you know, going out for supper with your wife and those connecting moments because of your thoughts, your your process, whether it's because you're embarrassed of what people thought when you're out whatever doing or because you thought... I don't have to do it now. I'll do that when I'm healthy, like you said. Can you can you go and describe a little bit about that? Uh, the things that I noticed in life, like growing up, and it, it almost like, like for instance, say a niece or a nephew, and you like all of a sudden look and at my nieces and nephews, and they're like teenagers, you know, and the concept of the world doesn't slow down for you to be better. Sorry, my dog barked there. But uh, the world won't slow down for you to get better. Um, we live in a fast-paced world, and we've got to learn to adapt. And, um, you know, like that military say, saying, adapt and overcome, right? Um, I remember a story I want to tell you, Candice, that uh, really uh, and uh, this was in the hospital in Provo, Utah, where I uh, did my rehabilitation. And um, what happened is I was uh, kind of depressed and down a little bit in, that, in the hospital room. And a nurse came into my room with a calendar and a red marker. And okay. So um, she was a really brilliant woman because she knew that, uh, like, I had to start over. And she wanted me to learn the value. What she did is she said, she said with that calendar in her hand and the red marker, she said, anytime you accomplish something today that you couldn't accomplish yesterday, we're going to write it down in uh, on this calendar in red letters, and we will call it a red-letter day. And back then, a red-letter day was something so small as, like, being able to wheel my wheelchair 50 yards without having somebody help me. Um, and those were, like, small accomplishments, but to me, they were, like, a big deal because I couldn't do them yesterday. Yes. Wow, that is amazing. That is such a good idea. Bless that. What? Bless that nurse. Bless I know, that yeah. nurse. That yeah, is such then... such a empowering empowering thing for her to have brought to you and to have done with you. It wasn't just like here. It's just like she was there with you. She helped you. That is so amazing. How have you taken that red letter day and utilized it from that moment moving forward? Because it did start off with just small little things. But how have you used it to really progress and help with your mindset? Because that must have been a huge 
help that must have helped you with the mindset shift right because even like she said the smallest little of things even if you just tapping your finger for the first time that that you couldn't do yesterday that's a big win how has that helped you with your process of recovery so yeah i in that hospital room it helped me for a short period of time but then i left rehab and went back to you know my life trying to figure out what i'm going to do with it and i remember being depressed a lot um and i'm going to get a, a little bit emotional on you candace but this story I like is the story it. is so much a part of who i am and what i've become um like i mentioned i was really depressed and my will to live was very low i wanted an easy out you know what i mean um i wanted uh i just wanted it to end so yeah i made plans to um will myself in my neighborhood there's a canal that runs through it and i wanted to will myself to this point in the canal where i could push myself in and i'm really embarrassed of that but i'm proud of it also um i didn't think i could will my wheelchair that far and it was also i had to will up a hill to get there and so what i did is i started from square one i knew i had to at least push to the end of the road and then i had to push a little bit further the next day a little bit further the next day it's just looking towards this goal well i finally thought i could do it and uh the day came and i remember you know saying goodbye to my goodbye to my wife and i remember pushing as hard as i could just still not even sure if i could make it so i got up to the end of the road and then up this little hill and i got to the top and i looked back and i that's when that's really when that nurse in that red letter day hit me i just couldn't do yesterday i accomplished something and in 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 my mind chat i changed that day i didn't i didn't say i wasn't ever going to finish myself but i i said maybe tomorrow right and instead of pushing in the river i pushed myself around the neighborhood a whole couple blocks you know and when i got home my wife was like on the porch waiting for me to get home and was like she had been watching me and she knew that i had pushed around the neighborhood here leader and that was that was my pivotal moment in my wheelchair life i wouldn't say that it, that they went away 100% that way but i my mindset changed i knew that this concept of accomplishing something new um can be a value and can build you take that depression away so then then it's on candace then it's like what can i do to create a red letter day above and beyond on a yes i am so, i'm so blown away by that story because it's it's so 
uh, I don't want to say fascinating, but it's crazy how you were using something, and I'm so, so glad that it didn't happen and you didn't get to yourself pushing. But it's wild that it, that on that journey of what you thought was going to be you ending your life, that quick, easy way out, was actually the journey that really made you stop and really understand that it is just those little increments. It's those little tiny momentum steps or pushes or wheels that you're doing that are so powerful. And I'm so happy that you look back and yeah. got to see that. I'm, my heart is very happy. I'm happy you were here. And I hope you know, uh, whenever you feel those days, you're not alone. You can always reach out to me. I'm Absolutely. always here to support you. I'm always here to support you. Um, wow, that is that is such a story. I want to I want to dive into a little bit more about the depression because I think this is really where it's going to help connect with people, whether they've had a big incident or not. Just a mental clarity. When someone's feeling stuck, how whether it is to help them just not feel alone or to help them give uh help give them a step to move forward do you have any advice that maybe you were given or that you learned in your time of feeling uh depressed yeah i do um what i was thinking about when you're asking that is like uh the concept that we have to first realize that it is going to happen. We're going to hit ruts in our life. We're going to have hard times, death in the family, depression, anxiety, cancer. So many things. And I'm reminded of, I, Candace, you know this, I'm kind of into the podcast world and I'm trying to learn as much as I can. Uh, I followed this uh, podcast, and there's a. I'm going to steal this from him, but there's a guy named uh, Theo Vaughn, and he has a podcast. Sometimes it's inappropriate, but uh, I heard one time him explaining um, about the game Mario. You, you're about my, you know, us '90s kids. We uh, we played the game Mario growing up. Oh right? yeah. Yeah, you can you can imagine like Mario drop. And close my eyes and picture that. You can see the first obstacle where he hits the, the you know the question mark box and he becomes big. And then yep. there's the the shell right there. Like everybody in our era has played that game, right? Yeah. And in this podcast, this guy says, you know, if the game Mario were were just a dirt field or grass field, and all you did is you dropped in and then you went from point A to point B and passed the game. He said you'd probably put that game down after one try. It'd be boring. We wouldn't, we wouldn't, um, it, it wouldn't be a challenge. Yeah. And on that note of challenges, um, you know, that's what our life is about. Like it, nothing, like I know we sometimes look at our neighbors and think they have no challenges. I guarantee if you're looking 
and you're comparing yourself, which comparison again, that's another thing, but like everybody's got challenges and it's just a part of life. And for, for the uh, dorkiness of saying this is like, everybody's going to get uh, bucked off that horse. You just got to get back on. And I think that's the, the, without getting philosophical, that's the meaning of life is like, is to be tested, I think. Yes. Yes. I love that. I love that. Now, oh, that's so good. So I love, and I agree. Life is meant to help test you because it's in those tests where you really get to see what you're made of. You get to learn, you get to grow, you get to prosper, you get to connect. You really get to just, I find really just observe your life and and see where maybe things need adjustments or where you need to put more time and energy in. And there's some things that you just need to remove completely. Yeah. Um, I want to die. I want to go into from shifting your mind from that first moment of, Oh my God, look what I did. I'm actually going to use this as a red letter day and it's the time you reflected back how did you start using that moment of oh my god i can do this for all the moments after that led you to maybe thinking of um killing yourself again or suicide again how did you help yourself from that moment on for every other time you thought of it uh I would say I've always tried to keep my mind occupied based on what can you do next. Um, you know, uh, I have very few sleepless nights. I've always been blessed to be able to hit my, my head, hit the pillow, and I fall asleep. But the, I will say this, there's nights where I can't turn my brain off. There's two types. Uh, you know, scientific or anything. But for me, there's two types of those nights. There's like the nights when you can't sleep based on the next day you have Christmas morning or you have a big event coming up because then, then you're just, what, what do I need to do? You know, what we're excited, right? The other type of uh, nights when I can't sleep, I think these are really good because there are nights where I'm like, what can I do to um, accomplish something new that will, and I, my mom, I don't know if she'll ever listen to my podcast, but quote unquote, what can I do to make my mama proud of me, you know? Oh, I love that. And, and yeah, in those nights, that's what I'm thinking about is like, what can I do? What's my next move you know like and and maybe it might be something big like ride my bike you know like 20 20 miles I, like maybe i'm gonna i'm gonna set a goal to ride my bike in a marathon you know and i've got like tons of those goals but there's also little things like what can i do better to work on my relationship with my boys or what can i do better to um you know work on my relationship with my wife yes. so yes. I know as much as we hate those nights when we can't sleep I think they're valuable because we 
need to check ourselves often. Like, am I in a rut? Maybe I am. What can I do to get out of that rut? Yes, yes. So within your moments of, oh my God, look what I've done. I'm going to start now focusing on creating more red letter days. Let's get into getting back into like sports and physical movement and becoming a dad because like you said, life just kept moving on and you got the learning of, okay, I can't wait until I'm all healed because I don't know when that's going to be. And the healing starts with me doing these little things as I go along. When were you like, I want to get back into a sport again? Oh, (laughs) right away. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as I found out about, um, yeah. So I found out about this sport called wheelchair rugby. Okay. the way I explain it is um, it's like uh, chess mixed with bumper cars because it's very strategic. And if you ever have a chance, there's a documentary out of the documentaries called Murder Ball. That's kind of how it got its fame, the sport. And uh, yeah, that was its original name of the sport was called Murder Ball. They just couldn't get sponsors for a sport called Murder Ball. I don't blame it. <laughs> is I before my I I tell myself I've lived two lives and in my previous life I loved the concept of like work hard in sports to get better and that I want to tell anybody who's in a, any kind of situation it doesn't go away like um, I have a hand cycle with the app Strava. And if you know that app, you're a Strava junkie, I guarantee it, that, um, like, let's say you go on a run for five miles. What Strava does is it tracks your pace, your miles per hour, your um, everything. And I do use it for my bike. And it's like, really cool is it, it assesses you now. And it tells you how you are, fast you are. And just like any other sport, you can, if you're here, you can improve to here. And I've always set goals on my bike because it's my form of exercise. And it's also my happy place. Okay. I used to, I used to ride my bike an average of like two, 300 miles a summer. And then this last summer, I, uh, set a new goal and it's climb but last year I rode 900 sorry I guess the climb where so it like uh, my goals climb I know our internet connection is kind of getting bad but um, my goal last summer was 900 miles and I I made it I rode my bike (gasps) 900 miles over the summer that's a lot of biking. <laughs> yeah, like I mentioned, it's also my it's my addiction, but it's also my happy place. Yes, yes. How did has that always been your happy place, or did you? But did it become your happy place afterwards when you kind of felt that it was a mixture of like recovery plus a little bit of fun and getting back into like I would say like your old old life. Yeah. 
I mean, I might store all, I mean, maybe here at just a pedal bike or, you know, maybe I got one in grade school to ride to school every once in a while, but um, it, it's not, what I've learned is it's not the sport, it's the competition. Like with my boys, we've, we've created these silly games sometimes. We, we actually, on our front driveway, we had this game where we would hit golf balls down our driveway, like a, a mixture between like miniature golf and, and I don't know what you want to call it, but it, it just, the sport of the idea of competition has always been a reward for me. And we called this little silly game called money shot. And I can imagine if you drove by our house and we were out playing, you'd be like, what the heck are those guys hitting golf balls down this concrete driveway into the gravel? And we loved it, you know? I mean, competition is a good thing because it also, um, it's just a concept you can use in life. I mean, let's take, for example, if you are a basketball player and you shoot 10 free throws and you average seven, the only way to bring that average up is to practice. And if you can, like, this is what I want to install in my boys, like, they come home and they're frustrated with their math, you know. Just use the same concepts you've learned in sports to get better at math. Practice makes perfect, you know. You've got to practice four plus four to get eight, you know, and you might not. Yeah, I mean, just repetition and work at it. You can't you can't just expect to go from four plus four to four times 44 to the fourth power yeah, without yeah. practicing. Yes. Yes. Oh, there's so, I, I can just keep going and going and going because there's so many avenues I want to talk about. I want to talk about <clears throat> becoming a dad because you had your boys after. Correct? Yes. Yes. So I want to talk about that journey because, and, and I'm bringing your wife back into it because to me, she's superwoman and she needs to, her side and her story is also a powerful one in this whole journey, I believe. Um, you were obviously on the men's, things were going good. Have you guys talked about having children before the accident? Was that something you both desired and wanted? Yeah, I mean, I've always, from from a kid, I always wanted to pick a a wife that I knew would be a good mom for that reason because I you know not just my religious beliefs but I believe the the family is is the unit that we will be together with in heaven and um so yeah I mean I when I talk to young kids I I say be very selective in the person you date because all marriage started at dates, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, so for my my wife and my relationship, um, I'm pretty proud of the, like, um, how I'm just, I'm proud of the woman I picked and the, the, you know, what I was thinking about earlier when we were talking about this is, like, when we got married, um, you know, like, the common saying is for better or worse, you know? Um, And we uh, experienced some of the worst right off, right? Yeah, like the first year. The first year is 
already what people say is the hardest. Yeah. And so, so I would say that was our worst, but we've overcome that. And I would say for the better is when we, be, when we became parents. Yeah. Um, my little boys are my life, you know, and, and like um, my favorite thing to do is like I'm working for, from home now from like this lockdown we're in. And yep. my favorite thing is waiting until 3.30 when they get home from school because I know my boy will be like, let's go out and play basketball in the driveway. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I highly value my family. Yes. So when the, the decision to have children, I know must have must have been something that you guys talked about because it's not like before the accident where you guys were both able to you know move and go and the baby's crying and always your turn to get up and do those things there was a lot more to think about when starting a family how did you guys process that because if it's a desire for you guys both and it's something you both want how did you guys work it out because like She's already supporting you to the best of her abilities, and God bless her. But now she's adding another human in, right? So how did you guys discuss that yeah. in, in in terms of how you guys can both show up and, and both get what you guys need out of parenting without her feeling like it's just all her doing the work? Because I'm sure that was probably a thought or a feeling or emotion. Yeah, um... So one thing that uh, I did foolishly when I was younger is I um, I would make deals with God in my brain. I would tell him, we'll have kids if you make me better. And I don't know who sings it, but I know there's a country song that says, if you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. Yes, there is. This world, you know, I mean, I'm just living in it, you know, and, and once we did decide to have kids, um, I really look back and think, why didn't we sooner? You know, uh, we have our twin boys and, and they're a blessing. I want to tell you a story. Uh, so I think we we haven't talked about this in this podcast, but my wife is also a nurse and she works no, nights. Haven't. Yeah, she works nights, and um, we've just adapted things. You know, I, I want to tell you a story of when my kids were in cribs, and and I started sleeping on the couch so that I could get up to them faster when they're crying. Well, I remember the toddler age. Um, my boy Grayson was crying in his crib, and I was home alone with him. And I remember... Um, he, his goal and my goal was to get out of that crib and onto my lap. You know, parent, baby needs his daddy, you know. And so I remember wheeling up to the crib, and I physically could not reach over. over and he was getting smart and becoming to the age where he knew uh you know, is well, maybe he didn't know, but this was his dad, you know, and and he understood that we had a challenge and we had to work together. So 
what what we came up with is I would reach my arm over into the crib, and you, if you could imagine this one or two year old just kind of like latching onto my arm as tight as he can, and me lifting him up out of and onto lap. You know, I'll always remember that. Like I know it happened millions of nights, but this first night when when we accomplished that goal, and granted, also my my in-laws and my mom helped a lot at nights. But my goal was to be a dad 100%. And and I'll tell you what, changing diapers with paralyzed hands is a mess. But oh, you know, I've done it once or you know, I've done it a few times, and and just. Where there's a necessity, um, there, the Lord will provide a way. Yes. That is, so I got goosebumps, uh, you sharing that story about your little one. So you have twins. Yes, Grayson and oh. Berkeley, they're seven years old. They're going on eight. Oh, yeah. I got goosebumps of you telling me that. It's so crazy how little minds, because... Like you said, you, he might have known, he might not have, but he just knew, okay, I need to work with this sense of, I would say maybe not like he knows, he doesn't know the word dad, but he knows like this person that provides safety and comfort and warmth and care for me. I know that I need to help him with what is happening right now. It's so wild how little minds can do that, right? And then here yeah. we are thinking, just, oh, you can do little babies. And then they're yeah. like, hey, I can. Ah. Yeah. Oh, that is so heart, like, so heartfelt. It's so touching. So I, did you cry? I would have probably cried. No, <laughs> he like, was the one doing all the crying. I was just proud of our accomplishment. Yeah. I would have been crying. I would have been so proud. Ah, <laughs> you probably like, come on, dad, pick me up. <laughs> yeah. That is amazing. So you got into rugby. What else have you gotten into? And what have you allowed yourself to do with this story of yours in order to truly help others understand that, like you said, when life and which it's going to is going to give you a down or a hardship, or a struggle, or a loss of some sort. How how are you using your loss, your struggle, to empower yourself, to empower your life, and how can others do so as well? Uh, like I like I said before, I'm always looking for a new challenge. Um, to answer your question, your first question is like, uh, what have I gotten myself into? So, anything. I, I I've I've learned uh, in life, you know, like people will make offers to you to do this, you know, invite you to do this. And it's really important for me to always say yes to those opportunities. So that that path led me around, uh, led me down what my friends' interests are. I've I've hunted. I love hunting now. And it's not because it was like something I grew up doing. It's because my best friend invited me to do that. I have a buddy, his name's Clint, and he's a big time hunter. And But it's those relationships that, that I've gained with him. They didn't happen because I was 
the only reason they happened is because I was willing to say yes when he invited me, you know. And on your on the second part of your question, how have I used those to kind of continue on life, I guess? Um, I would say uh, that's what we all need. Um, and in this world, as far as like social media, um, and some people put a negative light on this, but I really think it's important for us to share our victories, to, to brag every once in a while. Um, if you, if you can ride your bike 10 miles, um, in this world, you know, you, you see people posting on social media that they're proud of what they accomplished cheer them on you know i mean uh i am a firm believer that my story needs to be told people can uh gain i don't know i think they can gain a life lesson from hearing my story and so that's my newest challenge is i want to i want to get my story out far and wide to benefit others um whether that be podcasts whether that be speaking, whether it be my social media. And I also have a dream of one day writing a book to kind of just tell my story, a memoir. I want the first copy signed, please. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Please. Um, I want to, I want, there's so much, like, I, there's so much I want to dive into. I want to talk about fear because you've you've gone through a huge thing so now i want to ask you what is your biggest fear because oh. you've like because you for some like for me it would be like an accident like and i like some but you have gone through probably one of like the scariest things already in life almost losing your life plus learning to rebuild your life so now what would be your biggest fear Ooh, I don't know. I mean, that's a that's a tough question. I mean, I I know what you're asking, but like, yeah, um, snakes come to mind. <laughs> you know, no, uh, I don't like. Love it. I don't yeah. like snakes either. <laughs> but I I know you're asking for a, a deeper answer than snakes. But my biggest, I guess, my biggest fear is. Um, fallen back into the trap of of depression and um not being able to find a way to dig dig out dig out that's hey that is good and that is deep and i'm glad that i caught no offense i'm glad that i caught you off guard with that question because i think now i'm gonna have you reflecting a little bit on that and it will help you uh hopefully point out if there's any little red flags that you might need to to check on like you said check yourself um i want to talk about legacy now because boy you have one and and i believe that you're going to leave a huge one but i want to know what is your legacy what would you like to leave behind well i'm gonna answer this with a story i hope i 
don't please story do, please you guys do. out. Um, no, I love stories, and I'm sure my listeners do too. That's how people connect, I believe. Yeah. Um, so, I know my much. Um, his name was Sid Weary, and uh, he grew up in a small town in Idaho, like very small. Is the town's called How Idaho, and they have. Uh, like one building that uh, is the town hall, the post office, and a gas station all in one. You know, uh, this is just like there's a real small population. Wow. But um, anyways, to tell you more about Sid is I didn't know him very much, but uh, when he passed away, I went up with my family to his funeral. My dad was the only boy in the family, and he spoke at at Sid's funeral. He said, and I probably still would love to have had a recording of this, but my dad said this about Sid. He said, Sid had the ability to attract some of the finest people around and that Sid re- expected the best out of those people when they were with him. And what my dad did in that conversation, in that speech, was he complimented everyone around there that was at the funeral. They, they for that moment in my brain, they were checking themselves and saying, hey, I knew Sid, and because I knew Sid, I was a better person. Now that's the goal I want, and I, I hope I have that trait inherited from my grandpa. Um, there's a quote from Jim Rohn's, Candace. It's called, um, uh, it goes like this. It says, you're an average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I believe that. I believe yeah. we start acting around, acting like the people we are around. And what my goal is when you talk about legacy, and I don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not perfect at this, and I've got shortcomings just like everyone else. The goal to bring us up, you know, um, we know how the the law of averages work. And if you're an average of the five people around you, uh, that's my goal and my desires is to cheer people up and encourage them to do a better job. I love that. And you, sir, you certainly do that. Um, Even just by talking to you, just these short little times and getting off of our briefing before to have the podcast episode, your energy and just the way that you present yourself truly does make people want to really strive to be the best of the best. And for me, it's seeing all that you have overcome and with such a positive attitude. And I know from a person that's positive a lot of the time, it's not always there. But I do want to say that your drive to want to show up positive and when you are having, I would say, negative days, the fact that you show up even in those days and you try your best to have a red letter day in whatever way possible makes the world a better place and makes everybody else strive to have those red letter days because 
I'd, I've always, since that time you said that, I was like, I need more red letter days. Like, I don't think I've ever, I don't push myself enough to have red letter days. I've gotten complacent. I've gotten comfortable with just how I've lived. And you make me want to have red letter days. <laughs> so I hope you know that you do make people around you want to be the best and show up as their best. So keep doing you. And I really believe that you are going to, anybody that comes in contact with you is going to totally get a flip in their mindset and such a, a full heart and really just a, a, an energy to keep just push forward. Cause that's what you, that, that is, that's what you bring to people is just move forward keep pushing you got this if you believe it you can achieve it you can do it i love it i love it so i just have a couple more questions for you um i could because i could keep going and going and going and going and going because i feel like i've had multiple avenues that i could have went on and i might have to have you back on to talk about those avenues (laughs) anytime because I don't feel like one podcast can actually get the depth of how amazing you are and how truly impactful this story of yours is. Um, what do you have planned for this upcoming year? Because you've said you want to get your story out. Do you have speaking engagements planned? Do you have, what is your next big, like, ah, to help to help bring this story to life and to others? Well, um, I'll tell you, I got lots, but I'll tell you of two of them. Yeah, I have um, two speaking engagements this summer. I'm looking forward to those. And then my next my next big goal or red letter accomplishment that I want to do. This is three years in the making. I wanna I wanna do a marathon on my bike, and I wanna and. Here, I live is Salt Lake Marathon. Two years ago, before coronavirus, I signed, well, actually, it's now three. Three years ago, I signed up for the Salt Lake Marathon. I was prepped and ready. I was all ready to go, and I woke up, and there was an inch of snow on the ground, and they canceled the, uh, they canceled the cycling part of the marathon. So... Uh, the next year, uh, obviously, it was coronavirus, and they canceled the marathon. This year, um, I think it was as a Boston qualifier. So I've been telling people, I'm like, if you know of a marathon that's relatively flat, hit me up because I will try. I will travel and bring my bike because me and my uh, best friend Andy, um, we have goals to do a marathon and if you do it in two hours and 45 minutes that's qualifying for the boston marathon oh well i believe you could do it and if i have an eye out if i know of any marathons or if i know of anything i will definitely shoot them over to you that is so exciting um if you i have a couple questions one what do you um for one, I want to ask you as a father, what would you like to really instill in your kids out of everything that they could possibly learn from you? What is the one thing that you really want them to know and live? Oh, I, uh, 
I guess um, the most important thing I'd like my kids to know is um, that I love them no matter what. Um, I, uh, you know, I was uh, religious. I'm, I'm still religious, but uh, I uh, never thought of how much God loved me until you loved me and realized how much um, that love is. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody, non-parent, can comprehend how much God loves us. But that's my, the important thing I want my kids to know is that I love them. Now, my, um, what would you give, if you could give a couple pieces of advice, one or two pieces of advice, what would you give to any of my listeners who may be struggling of some sort? What piece of advice would you give somebody um, that is, you know, maybe in depression, maybe trying something new, whatever it may be? What piece of advice from that you have learned in your journey that you could give somebody else? Yeah, so um, uh, being in a wheelchair, I, we had talked about this earlier, is like how high you break up in your neck, the difference in paralysis. Yes. That's also a function you'll have uh, in life. Um, it's really hard for a person in a wheelchair um, to not compare themselves to what the next person in a wheelchair can do and can't. Um, and that's my advice is for you to not compare yourself to your neighbor. Um, you know that quote from Theodore Roosevelt, comparison is a thief of joy. Yes. And, and I believe that. And I, I think the only person you should compare yourself to is yourself yesterday. Don't compare yourself to your neighbor. Um, compare yourself to, to yesterday's you. Yes. I love that. That is honestly one of the best pieces of advice. And I, it's one of the pieces of advice that I, I try really try and give others is really, cause like you said, it is, it robs you of every single piece of joy that you could have. Like you're like, Oh, look at what I did. Oh, oh. it's like, you're just legit handing it to them. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Take and it. We're, re we're reminded of it every day. I mean, I pick up my phone and I'll look at, a hundred people's Instagram feeds that have made a hundred dollars and have purchased a new boat and have, and they all in this world. And we talked about this earlier, you know, I, I feel like you need to brag, but also um, nobody posts the cheese sandwich they had for lunch. They post the steak dinner they had for dinner. They don't yes. post that they, you know what I mean? Like, they don't post their their bad days, their sorrows. They post the best version of themselves, and the rest of the world sees that. Yes. Again, I I uh, like to brag, but don't get me wrong. I have hard days. I have moments where I fall out of my chair. I have moments where you know shit happens. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah. And I, I agree. We, we're all comparing ourselves to someone's highlight reel, right? And we do it yep. when we're in like the dumpiest of dumps. We're like in the dumpster and we're like, oh, yeah, that brings highlight reel. Well, yeah, yeah. especially it's going to look even better and shinier when you're in the dumpster. <laughs> like, of course, it's going to look better and feel better, right? And that's where like the grass isn't always greener on the other side it's green where you water it and i love that saying it's it it is it's where you water the grass that is going to be the greenest and it's no matter what if someone else is watering their grass you can go on it but if you are not watering that grass you're going to make whatever grass you're standing on go brown right yeah. like you're going to kill the grass anyway so yeah. it's it's a matter of watering the grass and wanting to water it and being there and being present. I love that. I just have a couple more questions for you. One, where can where can my listeners find you? Where can they get any of your stuff? Um, where can they reach you? Any of that kind of things. Yeah, so um, I uh, now I have a LinkedIn. I have an Instagram. Uh, my Instagram handle is Rick from Row. Uh, or if you just search Rick Weary, um, also like Facebook, uh, and yeah, if you ever need a motivational speaker for a podcast or anything like that, reach out, uh, email me, or just direct message me anything. Uh, I'm available. So awesome, awesome. My final question for you is: What is your perspective on positivity? Uh, I feel like uh, positivity. Now we're talking about. Uh, I uh, this is this reminds me of the coronavirus, how fast it spread and how much it took over our uh, lives. Um, positivity can do the exact opposite of that. It can uh, it can spread. You know, I started you. Oh, sorry. All I heard was it could spread. And it starts with you, you know. I mean, you know, I mean, like for it can just positivity can spread just as fast as negativity. Yes. If you're spreading negativity, you're gonna get the coronavirus again. <laughs> I love it. Yep. <laughs> yes. I like that. I like that. Well, Rick. Once again, thank you so much for taking the time to come on my podcast. I truly, truly appreciate you and sharing your story. But most importantly, I do want to just say thank you again for all that you do. Um, you sharing your story, you being such a light because you are honestly making the world a better place by being so authentic and real with who you are and showing up and owning your story even the darkest times and i'm i want to say i'm so happy that you're here and that you know life led you down a different path and allowed you to reflect um keep doing what you're doing because the world needs you oh thanks candace I appreciate you, and we'll be in touch. I, I I already know that I'm gonna want you on for another podcast episode. I did not get 
to nearly as much as I would love to have. And we still even got lots of great stuff. Like, I feel like we got lots of great stuff and I feel like I could still get more. So I will probably definitely have you rebook to get more juicy details because I honestly feel that you are such an impact maker for this world and, and the world needs more of you. And if I can get you out to the world, the more times, the merrier. I would love to do that. Thanks. I appreciate it. Well, you have an excellent time and we will be in touch. Okay. I was going to mention, you know, after you're done recording, uh, if this, like, there was a couple. Wow, 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 wow. Wasn't that just phenomenal? Man, I was laughing. I was crying. That man is just such a wholehearted light to this world. And I'm so blessed to be connected with Rick. If you guys like this episode, please let us know by tagging us in the socials. On Instagram, it is at Rick from Row and at Spark Plug Wellness. And Facebook, it's Candace Axford and Rick Weary. Let us know what you guys think. Also, please write and review the podcast. It truly does get the value of my guest out to more listeners. And it lets me know that I am on the right track to providing you guys with what you guys want to hear and what you guys enjoy listening to. Once again, I appreciate you guys listening in, tuning in. It is great. It is it is honestly something that I'm so grateful for. So thank you, thank you, thank thank you. It is now time to go out and do something positive and be positive.